Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest this week is my friend, Mr. Jeff Mann. Uh, Jeff is a senior InfoSec consultant, trusted cybersecurity advisor, a PCI DSS uh, QSA, if you like to run a lot of letters together. Uh, he is also uh, a frequent guest on Paul's Security Weekly and has his own uh, podcast uh, on that uh, network, uh, the Security and Compliance Weekly uh, show. Um, and he's just a general all-around uh, InfoSec curmudgeon, so I always like to get his uh, perspective on things. So uh, without uh, further delay, here is our podcast. Um, so what's... Um, what is your like day job right now? What's your primary focus from a security perspective? I mean, I always think of you as the as the PCI guy, but you know, what what else is on your plate? Well, uh, ironically, I'm doing PCI again. I'm I'm back working for the company. Well, I'm back working for the people, uh, or a majority of the people that I used to work with, same boss as when I was at AT and T before I came to Tenable. And uh, I went back to work. He he left actually Tenable. Uh, he left AT and T before I did, a few months before I did, and started a security practice at a at a kind of a small IT do everything software development IT support type of company. And he he stood up a, a security consulting practice. He's been doing that for eight years. So I rejoined him about three years ago, and uh, I had been doing advisory work. Uh, but I, I uh, reestablished myself as a QSA beginning of the year, largely due to COVID. There weren't as many sort of luxury advisory gigs, and they really you know, could use my help doing more deliverable work. Um, so I had to become a QSA again, which means I had to go get two certifications, not one, but two certifications. So I'm doing PCI again as a day job, uh, and then I'm doing the podcasting on the side. I got my own show on Tuesdays. It's called Security and Compliance Weekly, so I talk about PCI to my heart's content. And, uh, you know, I still show up for the main show called Security Weekly most weeks. I, I, I'm trying to cut back a little bit since I got the, the day the day job and the full-time podcast that I host. Um, but that's mostly it. I'm, I'm dabbling in doing some conference speaking again. You know, I did a couple virtual ones over the last year and a half, and, and I hate it um, just because I, you know, I, I miss having the audience feedback and just being able to hang out with people. Um, but I'm yeah. doing one. Uh, the first in-person speaking engagement I, I have coming up is uh, next month at GERCON. Uh, which will be, I mean, Gurkham was almost the last speaking gig I did back in 2019. Uh, so it'll be, a, it'll have been two years pretty much since I did a speaking gig in person. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I've been saying, like, like, like I told you, I, I, I had intended, I really wanted to be at Black Hat. Like I, I missed the in-person conferences and, um, I know there's a lot of people in, in, in cybersecurity who dread uh, Las Vegas. I happen to love Las Vegas. Uh, so I was really looking forward to going. 
um, and disappointed that uh, things are the way they are. So I'm, I'm, you know, I've got my fingers crossed that we can, you know, as a as a country, as a world, to get our shit together before RSA. Because uh, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really planning on being in in San Francisco uh, for for that event. But uh, we we shall see how things play out. Yeah, uh, I don't know that we'll ever get our shit together, but get get something together enough that we can keep pulling off in-person events and have enough people vaccinated and figure out that wearing masks just in general is a good idea. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. And a lot of you know, that seems to be... Um, a lot of it is generational, it seems like my my kids have no, you know, and my, my kids, I mean, you know, they're age 15 to 27. Um, they have no issue with masks. Um, and, 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 and at least a few of them um, have already stated that they, they can see, you know, the benefits or, or, or why you might just mask proactively indefinitely. You know, like, the, I mean, you see it in, in, in Asian countries a lot. And, it, and I know in China, it's primarily like a smog issue you know you're dealing with air quality um but you know it, it even before covid you had cold you've got colds you've got flus you've got people showing up to work you know and and spreading germs around the office and or or even like you know you have the con conference flu you know everyone goes to rsa or black hat and the, and the next week everyone's everyone's sick um yep. so from from all those perspectives it's like Maybe we could stand to to be a little bit more proactive in in how we prevent those things. Yep. Uh, I mean, like you know, being locked down with my family, and I've got a daughter and and three grandkids that live with us now. She's going through a divorce. Uh, but you know, for all of 2020, uh, you know, the whole winter of 2020, 2021, nobody got sick in the house because nobody was going anywhere, and <laughs> and usually, you know. Somebody catches a cold and it goes around. Somebody gets the flu or something close to it and it goes around the house. There's nothing. Um, I spent a week up, you know, five days up in Rhode Island, you know, a month or so ago. And and by the fourth or fifth day, I, I was, you know, feeling the con hotel crud. And I'm like, you know, it was nothing in particular. So, like, oh, yeah, I haven't been out in the real world and, right. and playing any of the normal uh, viruses and bugs and whatnot. And I, you know, I had a little bit after Vegas, you know, the, you know, the day after I got home or a day or two, I felt a little bit puny, but I, you know, I just chalked it up to the normal Congress. Concert. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let, let's, since it's, you know, your wheelhouse, let's talk a little bit about compliance. Um, you know, so then I have been not integrally, uh, you know, intimately involved in, in compliance, uh, on any level for probably at least a decade, but, uh, you know, once upon a time I knew a thing or two, um, right. uh, uh, Anton Chuvak and, uh, and I wrote uh, PCI compliance. So, <laughs> so I, I, I had that going for me at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been a while, even, even, even journalistically speaking or working in the cybersecurity industry, it, it, it compliance has not really been a top, it's not it's not on my radar really um like you know when a few years back when you know there was all the push with gdpr compliance right. was a big thing and then i feel like you know now there hasn't been anything like really new 
Um, and, 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 and there, maybe there is for you, like maybe, maybe, you know, if you're actually in PCI or focused on PCI, you know, maybe there's new, new standards or new things going on with it, but to the outside world, I feel like everything's kind of status quo. And at the same time, I feel like it's still, and, and, and this is where I really want your, your insight and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like compliance in a lot of cases is still checking a box like you know organizations you know whether it's you know i don't know the news with blackberry yesterday you know saying that they've got you know hundreds of millions of devices running qnx that are 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 vulnerable to whatever or uh, uh you know t-mobile getting you know hacked the other day you know wh whatever these all of these attacks that make the headlines i assume that those companies, if you go, you know, that when they go back and they do the investigations, that they are able to say, well, look, we are PCI compliant, we are GDPR compliant, we are SOX compliant. And, 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 you know, so ultimately it's like, okay, well, if you're compliant with all of these frameworks and mandates, and yet you're still breached and, and hundreds of millions of records are still exposed, what was the point? Okay. So, um, in order, uh, I, I think, to properly respond to your sort of question of you know, what's going on with compliance, what's new with compliance, uh, I need to back up a little bit and just kind of qualify. You know, I, I assume that none of your listening audience knows who I am or has ever heard of me, which is fine, uh, not a big deal. And, and I'm, I'm within the PCI world. I, I'm, I'm nobody special. I'm one of, you know, several. Uh, Several hundred. I don't even. I don't even think there's a thousand QSAs in the world. But I, I don't know what the exact number is. Maybe it's thirteen hundred, something like that. And QSA is the Qualified Security Assessor. So we're the what's commonly referred to as the auditor that comes into companies and and, and tries to figure out if they're following all the rules. Um, you know, the PCI Data Security Standard was first published back in two thousand four. Uh, December of 2004, and it was the major card brands agreeing on a common set of security standards that they could all agree to. Prior to that, each of the card brands had their own programs going on. So the idea of credit card security is, at this point, almost 20 years old. Um, back in those days, in the early days, um, credit card information was a uh, very valuable type of information to steal. It was very lucrative if you could do it. And there were some, you know, there are some famous and not so famous uh, major breaches throughout the years that have involved credit card information. Uh, probably for every credit card breach that you hear about in the news, there's probably dozens of ones that you don't hear about that are just, you know, very small in terms of the scope. Hit, you know, hitting smaller merchants, mom and pop shops, uh, you know, single locations of, of franchises or you know, few locations. Um, it's it, you know, back in those days, uh, the bad guys they wanted to either steal money directly or find something that they could steal that they could monetize. And credit card information was a a lucrative uh, business from their perspective. Um, the, the standard came out in 2004, it's gone through several, uh, revisions and version upgrades over the years. In fact, the, 
the PCI Council, which is the body that puts out the standard. Uh, they don't enforce it. They'll tell you. They just simply publish it. They're sort of the the go-between between all the, the, the major card brands. And we're talking Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover Card, and uh, JCB, which I believe stands for, I don't know what it stands for, but the J is Japan, like the Japan something bank. Um, bigger, bigger in Europe and Asia, not so big in the U.S. Um, the uh, version four of the, of the payment card industry data security standard is due to be published early next year. It was supposed to actually be published early this year, but they're actually doing a pretty major revamping of the standard this time around, whereas uh, several version updates and, and revisions over the past 14, 15 years have been relatively minor. This one is, is much more the major overhaul that people have been looking for for quite a while, and a lot of that has to do with sort of the changing world that we live in. There's not as many sort of conventional networks to network perimeters anymore. There's a lot of outsourcing. There's a lot of cloud migration. There's a lot of cloud services. Um, the, 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 it's become very much in vogue in the, in, the, in the PCI world. If you're a merchant, if you're any kind of a, a retail location or any organization that accepts credit cards as payment for your goods and services, um, right or wrong, I'm not saying I agree with this trend, but the trend is certainly rather than to do a lot of the uh, IT functionality, which involves or includes security services, uh, whether they do that themselves, it's a lot easier to find a third party, what, what PCI calls a service provider or a third party agent. Um, you know, throw it over to somebody else. And for a lot of merchants, they think they're done. Okay, PCI goes away. We don't have to worry about PCI. So there's a lot of marketing out there by uh, certain companies that advertise, uh, you know, we can ease your burden of compliance. We can make, we can make PCI compliance easy, which rubs me the wrong way because PCI to me, is basic fundamental security practices. If, if, if you ever sit down and read the standard, which I assume you have at some point since you wrote a book about it, you know, it, it, it's security 101. It, it, it's, it's very rarely, even to this day, even as stale as some people uh, believe that the standard is, it's hard to argue anything in the standard that isn't something that any organization should be doing from a security perspective across their environment and across their network, across their enterprise, uh, regardless of what it is that they're trying to protect. Um, let me pause there a minute and, and see if you have any comments or follow-up questions. I don't even know if I've answered your first question yet, but we'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, no, I was going to say that, uh, and I think I've said this to you before, uh, you know, but um, I feel like with, with PCI and with, you know, with a lot of the compliance frameworks, if you if you follow security best practices and you do the fundamentals, there's a good chance you'll be compliant. But you if you if you if you reverse that, if you focus on being compliant, it doesn't necessarily mean you're secure. But it can be, uh, and it really has to do with how you approach 
security in general or following the compliance rules. If you're if your attitude is, uh, what's the bare minimum I have to do to get by, to get the check in the box, which if I'm a QSA writing a rock, I'm not checking a box. I'm actually writing a lot of detail about what I've looked at and what I've seen and what I've observed or what I've read or reviewed. Um, so, it, you know, uh, for the larger merchants and service providers out there, it's, it's not simply a checkbox exercise, although there is a lot of what I would call the checkbox mentality. But another way of saying that would be sort of the bare minimum. What What's the least I have to do and the least amount of money I have to spend and the least amount of resources I have to throw at this to make it go away? Um, another facet of that problem, and it's pervasive, um, is, uh, and I've experienced this many different ways over the years, you've got typically the organizations within a, a merchant or a service provider that's handling the compliance is an internal audit group or a TRC group, people that are more concerned, and I'm somewhat generalizing, and I apologize and don't mean to offend anybody in these roles, but they have more of the paper pushing exercise. They're compiling the evidence. They're collecting everything. They're making sure all the policies are written and up to date and reviewed. So, it, you know, they, they're handling a lot of sort of, um, uh, you know, what some might call the non-technical aspect of, of, of the exercise. Right. Whereas start talking to the people that are responsible for the actual security functions whether those are the IT administrators or the developers, or if the organizations are fortunate enough to have dedicated uh, security group, um, you know, very often when I have to interview those types of groups, you know, they they consider me to be the blankety blank auditor. There's no way I know a quarter of what they know. Uh, I, you know, I don't understand security at all. Uh, you know. They don't want to answer my questions. They don't want to volunteer anything. They've been instructed to only answer, you know, short answer, yes, no, only, only ask what, only answer what you've been asked. Don't, don't volunteer any information. And of course, I learned that early on, and I, I learned that I had to, you know, sort of, in some cases, prove myself to, to these groups. In other ways, just had to develop a rapport with them. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm ultimately there to help them, help them do their job, help them keep their management off their back, uh, you know, assure that they're doing the things that they need to do to be secure and stay out of the headlines and not be breached and all that kind of stuff. So um, there's so many problems and there's so many issues around PCI. And, and I would say the vast majority of the problems and issues with PCI uh, all has to do with the communication and the marketing and the way it's implemented and enforced, uh, which has nothing to do with the actual standard itself and what the security requirements are and what people are supposed to be doing or not doing, as the case may be, or how often they're supposed to be doing it. Um, you know, if I was to summarize the biggest problem with PCI all around, it's that people don't understand it, especially in the sort of the, the vendor or security purist or practitioner side of the world, where all they know is what they've been told, which is PCI is a checkbox exercise. It can be that. A lot of people treat it like that. But, uh, and I've tried to tell my customers over the years, 
you know, PCI is an opportunity to get what you need and get what you want, which you know that you need to do to do your job better. So one of the ways that I would sort of win the hearts and minds of, of the security people would be to, you know, placate them, but also, you know, assure them that there's no way I understand your environment anywhere close to what you do. You know what your problems are. You know what the concerns are. You know where the, the skeletons are in the closet and and what's going on and what's not going on. Um, and I've quite literally said this to clients. I said, I, I have this magic cape and it says PCI on it. And I'll guarantee you, if you tell me you need something, if I can in any way, shape or form slap PCI on it, you will get what you need. You will get what you've been asking management for for months and years. That you, you know, screaming from the from the mountaintops. I need this to get my job. We need this to be secure. We need we need this to to be able to do things in a better way. Um, and and you know, organizations and people uh, have tried me on that. And when they when it's been successful, uh, we have a much better engagement after that because they know I'm their ally. They know I'm their friend. They know I'm there to help, and they may not like PCI, but they understand that PCI is a vehicle and a way to, to get things done that they've not been able to explain to their management in a successful way uh, that they really need to have this, that they really need to do this. Well, it, it, actually, it, it's interesting. Back earlier this year, you know, we had the big uh, the big freeze in Texas. Right. Um, after that, though, uh, a couple months after that, we had. Uh, a decent sized hailstorm, you know, like we don't, we don't really get hail in Houston that often, but we had a hail, we had this hailstorm, and right. uh, all of a sudden, I, I honestly, I, I think this is a factual statement. There's a house next door across the street, across the street, like the five houses surrounding me all got their roofs replaced. Wow. And, it's not, and, yep. and in my opinion, like, I'm not saying that, that it, it was, it was all insurance fraud, but it's, but I think there's a level of insurance. Basically, I think it was, you know, somebody came and said, look, you know, we can use this as an excuse to file a claim with your insurer and get your roof replaced. And it, you, what you were just saying kind of reminded me of that, like not. And again, not in a fraudulent way, but but in your and your ability to go to like the IT guy and say, look, you know, there are things you want, things you need that under normal circumstances, you know, you're going to get pushed back. You can't get them. This is your chance. This is your excuse. You know, <laughs> you, you just tell me what you need and we'll, we'll, we'll fit it in here somewhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're not the first person I've heard, uh, give the roofing analogy. Um, I, I, I would chalk it up to, uh, you know, finding the loopholes or reading the fine print. You know, I don't, you know, I would agree with you. There's not fraud being committed, but, uh, I forget who I was talking to a couple months ago, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've had our roof replaced. We happened to do it because a, a storm came through, and like everybody on the block was able to get new roofs because you know the insurance carriers or representatives came in or the roofers came in and said, "Oh yeah, we know how to work the system. There was a storm. Insurance will cover it. Now's the time." Right. Um, so the analogy works somewhat. Uh, you know, no no analogy is a is a you know, 100% crossover, but um, uh, it, it, it kind of sort of works. It, you know, for me, uh, I guess it's more, you know, not gaming the system, but you know, I, I call it Jedi mind tricks. You know, it's trying to, you know, if you have to trick your management into doing the right thing, so be it. It would be a lot easier if um, we as security professionals, experts, as it were, uh, 
could come in and tell an organization, uh, here's what your problems are. This is what you need to do, do to fix it. And they, and they go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it. You know, and they, they pull out their checkbook and, and or they pull out their credit card and they, and they, and they, and they, and they purchase the things that they need or they invest in the things that they need. Um, and that's not just PCI. I mean, that's just the world in general when it comes to security. And I've been, I've been doing, uh, uh, consulting, advising in, in, the, in the private sector for just about 25 years. You know, most of that has been PCI, but I started out as a, you know, pen tester in the early days when it was, you know, trying to convince people that they need really needed to have a firewall if they were going to connect their corporate environment to the internet, and and you know, on from there. But uh, the argument has has always been the same. It's we're coming in as an expert, telling you what your problems are, and um, and you know, to me, you should believe me because you hired me as an expert, and then you should do what I tell you to do. But very few companies do that. They got to wait for the breach to happen or the incident to happen. Right. Or, they, or, and this is the, this is to me where PCI comes into play and where I would argue it's had the most, arguably the most impact to our industry more than anything else because it has been around for 17 years and it has forced hundreds, if not thousands of companies to do things from a security perspective that they otherwise might not have done at all or just would have been very slow to 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 work into that and, and there's lots of different reasons but um pci is a driver and you know i i would argue that the, all the pen testing companies that exist today and all the people that we know that are you know successful pen testers red teamers um they wouldn't have jobs if it wasn't for PCI or something like PCI that came along and said, you got to do a pen test every year. Right. That's, a, that's, that's thousands of companies that that do it. There's million, literally millions of companies that should be doing it, all from a PCI perspective. Yeah. So two things I want to I want to touch on. Number one, you, you know, you started off talking about uh, how a lot of people outsource um, PCI or outsource security and compliance in general. Um, yep. and you know, to that, I would say, you know, the, the, those organizations need to go read and understand the concept of the, sh of, of a shared responsibility model, uh, you know, in, in terms of, yeah, you can offload, you can outsource, you know, to a trusted third party and say, Hey, I want you to do this. But when the proverbial stuff hits the fan, it's still going to be on you. <laughs> yep. So you know, let me let me ask you a question. The third party. You brought up the idea of shared responsibility. Um, when do you think that is sort of a concept or an idea came became? you know, I don't know how, how you would phrase it, publicly aware within our community or within our industry. When did, when did it become a buzzword? For me, it's AWS. Okay. That, that was, that was my first kind of introduction to it was the idea of, you know, yes, you're offloading all of this, all, all your, your computing, you're offloading all of these things onto Amazon's network but that does not free you from the obligation to secure and protect it. Like Amazon's going to secure and protect their infrastructure. They're going to secure and protect the things that the underlying 
framework that they're providing to you, but everything you put on it and everything you put in it is still your job. Yep. And uh, AWS was very careful from the early days. I don't know when we considered AWS. I mean, AWS has probably been around for 20 years, but we've only heard of them for eight type of thing. I don't know how, I don't know when AWS officially began a thing, but um, I remember first hearing about it and, and the trend towards, you know, throwing everything in the cloud, outsourcing to the cloud, maybe around eight years ago. Uh, coincidentally or not, uh, version three of the PCI data security standard came out about eight years ago. And guess what was in PCI in, in version three? A requirement for a responsibilities matrix. Uh, 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 a requirement that said if you're outsourcing to third parties, if you have a relationship with third parties, make sure you have written down who's doing what. You know, Don't assume that all 12 of the major requirements have been thrown over the wall to AWS or any other third-party service provider. Make sure you have it written down because, and I, I saw this numerous times in, in, in the early days of my assessing, you know, dating back 2004-ish, 2005, let's say, um, where there'd be a, a third-party relationship and, you know, quite literally, my client, the merchant, assumed that the third party was, was doing something for them. The third party, who was supposed to be PCI compliant, from their perspective, they would write up their PCI, uh, you know, compliance, their report on compliance, they would get their attestation, and but they would take the position of, we're responsible for what we're responsible for when it comes to customer uh, data, when customer things, that's on them. So right. it was very common for, the, for there to be gaps and holes. But you could, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of the entity, whether it's the service provider or the merchant, you could, you could see the, you know, it's rather reasonable argument to think somebody else is doing it for you. Um, so, and that's, that's probably my biggest concern with the way uh, PCI is trending in terms of so much going to the cloud, cloud infrastructure, especially infrastructure. You know, in the early days, it was just the e-commerce site was getting outsourced. Now it's the e-commerce site and a whole lot more. Um, but it's 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 even more complicated now. Like I have several clients that are merchants that have an e-commerce site, so you can you know. Uh, Acme Stove Company, you can go online to their website um, and order a stove and pay for it with a credit card. And you start looking at the back end under, underneath the hood of what's going on. Acme Stove Company, they've re retained the services of, of a, 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 a software development, IT development company, whatever you want to call them, that are, that are doing the code, that are doing the website itself. And they retain... Uh, a, a payment processor uh, to do the checkout page. So there's some point where you check out, you go to your cart, you go to pay, you get redirected, hopefully, to yet another third party. And it's all hosted on, let's say, AWS. I'm not picking on AWS. So you've got like three or four different players involved in just one e-commerce site. Now, PCI long ago recognized that if you're outsourcing and and you're using a PCI compliant third party or a PCI uh, compliant you know, payment processor checkout function, uh, 
as a merchant, you're mostly good to go, but you all, you still have to answer some questions. Um, a subset of the PCI requirements, you know, a 1040 light form or short form, when we used to have those. Um, the presumption, though, is that the requirements don't go away. They're just being covered by somebody else. And that's what's supposed to be happening with the responsibilities matrix and all the other third parties signing on board. But I literally have uh, a customer, more than one customer right now, that has this type of scenario where they have a website, they have an e-commerce site, but they really don't do anything more with it. They've got all sorts of different third parties lined up to, to deliver it and maintain it. Um, one of the requirements is to do uh, you know, application-level security testing um, of the website or a code review of the website. Who of those four companies is on the hook for that? Right. That's an open-ended question. And unfortunately, what I'm seeing so far is nobody's taking responsibility for it. And there remains a gap. Or the pen test. Or vulnerability scanning. But who, to your point, there's a vulnerability uh, scan of the device. I, I was not aware of the uh, you know the, the uh, you know PCI version three requirement and and maybe that is the 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 kind of the origin of of this, but based on that, you know mm -hmm. I would I would say it still comes back to the the main company like basically everything go, goes to the 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 main company you know that 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 owns the website and it's up to them to negotiate in writing with each of the four, you know, subcontracted parties who's doing what. And, you know, and they need to be able to, you know, have a have a spreadsheet in front of them that says, all right, here's all the requirements. Here's the ones we're doing. Here's the ones the payment processor is doing. Here's the ones the cloud host is doing. And and you know, so that they can answer those questions. There shouldn't be there shouldn't be a situation where you say, well, who's doing this? And they go, I don't know. No, there shouldn't be. You're absolutely and very astutely correct in your observation. But, uh, and again, I'll use AWS as an example, uh, not to pick on them, because uh, they've come a long way. Uh, but when I looked at them in 2013, it was because it was shortly after I went to work for Tenable. So I wasn't in the business anymore officially. But I had one of my merchant customers call me, and they were telling me about how their organization their merchant of a particular type. They had just acquired another major brand and they were trying to, you know, bring them into the fold. And, you know, what, what's never looked at during an acquisition? It's the IT and the infrastructure. So they were discovering that the, the company that they had acquired had outsourced uh, a significant portion of their infrastructure with regard to payment processing to AWS. And the, and the person that was my customer that was calling me panicked was they're not doing any vulnerability scanning. They haven't been because they threw it over to AWS and they claim AWS is PCI compliant, so they're good. And so, you know, it was a it was a pointed example of, but you know, there's a requirement here that nobody's doing. Now in those days, AWS, they were PCI compliant as a service provider, as a hosting provider. They had their AOC uh Tenable actually happened to be a customer at the time, so we actually had, I could get my hands on the actual AOC. And if you read the small print, it was basically, we're a hosting provider, we're covering lights and power, and basically the physical security of, of the data center, which is our, our facility, and that's requirement nine in the language of PCI. 
they they were not you know the small print said we're not doing anything else for you you're still on the hook for it now fast forward i don't know when they first started producing it but nowadays aws has their own responsibilities matrix where they go through for the pci standards and there's 400 some odd requirements and they go through line by line and say this is our merchant customer this is on us or this is a shared responsibility or other you know maybe it's passed on to yet another third party and and so they've come a long way but to your point of it's ultimately the merchant's responsibility too often i'm seeing uh merchants don't have their own responsibility matrix they just refer or point to to the AWS responsibilities matrix and say, well, we follow that. And you're exactly back into the same scenario where that's great from AWS's perspective, but that doesn't necessarily answer the question of what you're still on the hook for. Uh, you know, so part of my uh, the assessments that I've been involved with, is, you know, the last year and a half or two. Uh, are with these types of customers that have these types of relationships in you know, AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, it doesn't matter which one. They're all sort of doing the same thing these days. Uh, but I'm trying to teach my merchant customers or, or try to enlighten them or reinforce, no, you still have responsibilities. This has got to be from your perspective because all of the requirements apply to you, whether you're doing them or whether you have a relationship with a third party and they're doing it for you. They don't go away because you're dealing with another party. Somebody is still supposed to be meeting all these security requirements. And that's where I'm seeing a big problem these days. Is there's, there's just too much, oh, we throw it to the cloud, we're off the hook. The PCI goes away. We've got our AOC, and we're, we don't have any responsibilities because we passed it on to third parties. Right. And what I try to tell them is, what, what we're both basically saying is, you can pass on you know, the, the doing of the stuff uh, from an IT functionality perspective, that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it from a security perspective. And ultimately, very rarely are you outsourcing liability if and when something goes wrong. Right. I mean, honestly, even if you even if you did all the right things, you know, so you've got the, 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 the responsibilities matrix and you can point to it and you can say, well, no, this, you know, the, the application developer agreed to be responsible for this. Um, right. when a breach occurs, when a, something happens, when the, you know, what, whatever, whatever goes wrong, the customers, the investors, whoever's involved, they're still going to come to you as the, as the company, like they don't have a relationship with the application developer. That's not their problem. Um, and so it's, it's, it's still going to be your responsibility. The only thing that really gets you is at least you can then turn around and say, look, I've got this written contract that says you're handling this. So, you know. You know, so you have something where you can fall back and and internally you can you can shift the blame, but externally no one cares. Like you know, and and, and I run into that a lot. Like even if I'm just if I if I order something uh, off of Amazon and then it doesn't arrive, and I call the company that I ordered it from, and they say, "Well, we gave it to UPS. Call them." I'm like, "Oh no, no, I bought a thing from you. <laughs> if you have a problem with UPS, you call UPS." Yeah. Or uh, UPS or Amazon Prime, and we have that. We have an issue all the time because our physical mailing address. We live on a street called Waterford Waterford Mill Court, and maybe a quarter mile from us is a Waterford Road with a house that has the same house number as ours. <laughs> and 
we're forever getting each other's mail, each other's delivery deliveries. Um, my daughter does the, I forget what it's called, the one where you can, you know, get your groceries delivered or get fast food delivered, Instacart or whatever. Right. Those are. Um, I mean, it just happened to her last week. She did a couple hundred dollar food order from the grocery store that got delivered to the other, the other house. And they get our stuff much more than we get theirs because I guess their address shows up first in, you know, Google Maps searches or whatever. And they're an older couple, and I think they're just fed up, and they don't want to deal with it. So they'll they'll either throw stuff away, or they'll just let it sit there and rot. I don't know what they do with it, but they don't bring it to us. But ultimately, or, but ultimately, when when you're when you get pissed off when you're casting blame, it's with the company you gave money to, not not the intermediary. Right, right. And it's on them to figure it out. Yeah, and the companies are good with replacing the order, sending new drivers, sending replacement right. orders like that. Yeah, that, that's they they at least know that's a price of doing business, and and it's up to them. And it's probably I would guess cheaper to just replace it than to try to you know track everything down and investigate, train the driver that's only going to work for them for a month anyway before they get set up and do something else. But, uh, yeah. Um. All right, I want, to, I, want to, I want to start to kind of wind things down, but uh, so here, here's the, a question I had, and this this applies to PCI compliance, but it applies to really all all compliance and and just auditing in general. And it is, I have always felt, and this goes back to my Air Force days, that inspections and audits should be unannounced. That you know, like we we have like you know the inspector general would come to the base, uh, you know, but we knew a month in advance the inspector general was coming to the base, and so the week before it, everyone would you know polish their boots and get their uniforms pressed and all those orders that we were supposed to have out every time we did anything, uh, we actually took them out and actually opened them up to the right page, you know, all the things that we never did <laughs> on a regular day to day basis, we did because we knew the inspector general was coming, and I feel like. That that applies to all audits. Like if, if I if I tell you up front that on S September fifth I'm going to come and do a PCI audit, well now you've got you know three weeks to get your shit together and 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 do all the things that you don't normally do. Yep. No, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, you know, I I first I was never in the military, but when I was in high school, I got a job as a busboy at a local restaurant that was uh, I guess a, technically a franchise operation or at least. There were, you know, they were they were a stores that were hundreds of them all over the country. They largely don't exist anymore. But one of the best ones was in Houston in the Galleria. Mm -hmm. uh, but but um, you know, we would get the, the monthly or quarterly visit from whatever district manager. Same thing. And as a busboy, I was, you know, staying late at night to strip the floors and wax them, and you know, take them three or four o'clock in the morning, and you know, and you know, fit and polish and do all these things and. The managers would be running around crazy trying to make sure everything was being done properly and everything was just just so. And I'm like, yeah, it was just it was silly. It's like, why do all this? That's not going to be a good representative sampling. Um, I, and, and of course, I see that in, in in the compliance world. I happen to be uh, driving around the country today doing store visits for a current customer, and I'm hitting stores. That hitting, I shouldn't. That's our vernacular. I am visiting stores. Uh, they know I'm coming, but they have no idea what it is because 
a lot of times when you do store visits for a merchant, because in the old days you would visit corporate headquarters, wherever that is, or their data center, wherever that is. And, you know, since you're already traveling, you would visit stores that were sort of local to headquarters. They know the drill. They know that once or twice a year or however many different compliance things they do, they're going to get visited. So they tend to be, in terms of all the retail locations, they may not, maybe not, you know, for the actual visit, but just in general, they, they know that they're going to be inspected. So they tend to be better off. Um, this particular merchant I'm doing right now, I did a couple of virtual visits because uh, some of the stores are in Florida and there ain't no way I'm going to Florida right now. Um, but we, we, we virtually visited three different retail locations and each of the three had different explanations on how they handled, uh, you know, if the system was down and they had to process manual transactions. Um, so hold that thought. I, I'm, in, I'm halfway through my visit today. I've already been to two locations and I've, you know, I've got an issue with the first one I went to. The second one was kind of okay. They don't even do manual transactions. They'll just point the customers to like the customer support. They can call in and fulfill the order. They'll get the order number. Um, the point I want to make though is, uh, and this be the this can be the parting parting thought call to action item. As a as a someone that's been in the information security business almost forty years, someone that was DoD trained worked for an organization whose business was information security. I learned somewhere along the line early on, and it's a very common mantra when it comes to information security, it's that there's three components, people, process, and technology. I think you would probably agree that the vast majority of our focus and impetus within what we now call cybersecurity from a vendor, from a practitioner perspective, uh, from a, a, a organization that's supposed to do the thing, far and away the focus is on technology. You will occasionally hear people talk about the weakest link being the people. And of course, there's a, a somewhat burgeoning sub-industry that focuses on uh, security awareness training or teaching people how to uh, you know, pull the lever to get the pill, not <laughs> click on for phishing uh, attempts, social yeah. engines, and stuff like that. I and I've only I've only crystallized on this. I, I've believed it for a long time, but I've only crystallized it in, in the last month or so. My career has really been focused on the process end of things, and, and what I did primarily in my early days, in my first generation of being a QSA, and I'm doing it again now. I go into companies, and you know the technology is what it is, the people are what they are, but I believe that what really causes breaches and causes incidents at the end of the day, if you do a root cause analysis, uh, it really brought, boils down to process skills. So I would argue that the, the weakest link of this thing that we call practicing information security or cybersecurity is really process. And I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. You, you know, chew on it a little bit or you know, the listening audience, think about it a little bit. But even from like a vulnerability scan or a pen test, you find a vulnerability. You find an unpatched system. The root cause isn't there's a system out there that wasn't patched. The root cause is a process failure. Something failed in you, presumably you have a patching process, a patching program. Presumably you're supposed to hit all the systems. Um, 
or you're at least aware of a vulnerability that you can't mitigate or patch because of it's going to break whatever application is running, you know, there ought to be some awareness at the very least. If, if it's a surprise when, a, when you get a pen test result or a vulnerability scan result, that there's a system out there that's got a patch from five years ago, that's a process failure. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, all right. Well, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to join me. Um, and uh, like I said, you know, finger, fingers crossed on uh, on RSA. Uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to actually be there and uh, do the security bloggers meetup and you know see all of my friends face to face again. Yeah, definitely. And if I if I may uh, give a quick pitch for. Uh, my own podcast, which is called Security and Compliance Weekly, it's part of the Security Weekly network of shows. Uh, the flagship show, obviously, is called Security Weekly. You can find it by going to securityweekly.com. If you do you want to listen to it, we're all on all the podcast catchers. We're on YouTube. If you want to watch us, I am something to look at. Uh, we're also on uh, what's the latest streaming service, Twitch or something like that. I, I don't do it because I hate technology, but we're out there if you just want to search for us. Uh, we broadcast live every Tuesdays, noon Eastern, and we, we try to always have a conversation that not always not only pulls in a security discussion, but also the compliance perspective. Our tagline is we're attempting to build bridges and tear down firewalls. Awesome. And, uh, you know, just I'll, I'll add to the plug. I highly recommend, uh, you know, Jeff's podcast. I highly recommend uh, Paul Security Weekly and the whole Security Weekly lineup. So if you uh, are not familiar, I definitely uh, suggest you go check it out. So anyway, thanks, Jeff. Take care. All right. Thanks, Tony. Good talking to you. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts. 